Hey, welcome to Ask a Pastor today. I'm joined by Josiah Leuenberger. Welcome. Thank you. Jos Great to be back. Josiah serves as part of our adult ministry staff at our Wexford campus, and today we're going to jump into several questions that have been sent along. If you have questions, you can send them to askapastor at orchardhillchurch.com. We'll be happy to address them in a coming episode. And as always, if you have found this content helpful, uh, leaving a comment, uh, like, following the content, any of that is helpful for other people to find the content. So uh, that would be awesome if you would, would uh, participate in that way. So here's mm -hmm. a question, Josiah. Um, uh, reading a prayer at a Catholic service I recently attended was asking Mary in heaven to pray for us. Can you pray to someone other than God in heaven? And can someone in heaven pray to God on behalf of us? So what, mm. would, uh, what would be your, your quick answer or easy answer to that? Yes, well, I know this is really common in some Christian traditions, but I think that something that we really value here at Orchard Hill is that we wanna make scripture our basis for any practice that we have in the church. And for me, in my understanding of scripture, when I look to it, I don't see any biblical basis for praying to anyone other than God um, or Jesus. I believe that uh, scripture is very clear that Jesus Christ came to be our mediator with God. And so, you know, scripture really clearly in Acts chapter four, there's no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. And so when we think about a need for a mediator between us and God, that's so clearly to us, Jesus and what he's done, he's come and laid down his life on the cross to restore us to our heavenly father, forgiving us of our sin, making us uh, legally right before God in our standing. And so praying to Mary, praying to any other saint for, uh, you know, an intermediary role there between us and God, that's just totally. Well, we don't need to. You already have a mediator, Jesus. And the reason when you do it is you come in Jesus' name. So often when we end a prayer by saying in Jesus' name, mm. what we're doing is we're saying, I've come through the mediator. This is my that basis you have, for standing. Have um, appointed. And so those aren't magic words to throw on to the end of a prayer. They're actually words acknowledging the basis for your prayer. So sometimes it might be healthy to just say, you know, Father God or God, as I come to you today, I'm coming because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, because this is how you've bid me to come, invited me to come. And, and it's a way of, of taking it from magic words at the end into something um, that's altogether different. So if somebody I love does, that. It gives us such confidence knowing that it is in Jesus' name that we come before God. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about Christ as our faithful, our compassionate mm -hmm. high priest who has uh, interceded for us with the Father. And yeah. so we can come in Jesus' name with confidence. So, so a couple just follow-ups to that with you. Um, what about praying to Jesus or the Holy Spirit? Is that um, neutral, um, okay, not okay, um, as opposed to God the Father? Yeah, this is an off-the-cuff answer, but I would say that I don't see any issue with praying in Jesus' name. Um, mm -hmm. I see you know, the same way as at the end of a prayer saying, you know, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Mm -hmm. In a similar way, we could say, Jesus, you know, I want to bring these things to you. I want to thank you for this. I want to ask you for this. Uh, give me faith to trust you in this regard. I believe that's very similar. Um, when I pray, you know, oftentimes I would pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work in my life, mm -hmm. but I won't pray, you know, to the Holy Spirit specifically by name. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, If someone would choose to do that, I would just say that personally, Mm -hmm. that's not something I felt compelled to do. I would also want to say that I do think that there, um, not only is it unnecessary to pray to a mediator, I think it is unhelpful, and I think that it is dangerous because you are putting something in your mind. Talking about a mediator besides Jesus. Yes, Yes. sorry, to Mm -hmm. be clear, to pray to a saint, uh, to pray to Mary, I think is a dangerous practice because it could create in our thought process an idea that we need a mediator other than Jesus, where in scripture it's very clear that he has accomplished the work that we needed to be made right with God, our Heavenly Father, and we have direct access to God through Him. Yeah. Well, it would be, it, it would, not only that, it's completely wasteful in your time and energy because there's no indication that there's a listening or an access that's different than the access you have mm. uh, to God Himself. And so, in a sense, it would be like, it would be like me saying, I'm going to ask Josiah for something, but I'm going to ask some high school buddy of yours who you haven't been in touch with for the last 15 years uh, to, uh, to, to intercede with you on, on behalf. Now, it, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. When I know you and I could say, well, I'm just going to come ask Josiah uh, for something. And, and so it's, um, it's, it is dangerous, but it's also just frivolous and, yeah. and goofy when you can come through Jesus. And we have his favor. Like, mm-hmm. because of God's grace, we have Jesus' favor and his compassion. We don't need to come to him and, and expect, like, oh, man, maybe his mom will lean on him and give yeah. us mercy. Yeah, maybe if I get the mom involved. <laughs> um, the, um, I asked about the praying to Jesus or the Holy Spirit, and you said you sometimes might pray to Jesus but not to the Holy Spirit. Um, I actually, um, I don't think it's wrong to pray to Jesus or the Holy Spirit because God is one, uh, so to address your prayers. But I think it's wise to model our prayers when Jesus has taught us in the way that Jesus has taught us. And, mm. and he says very clearly in Matthew 6, pray in this way, our Father who art in heaven. Uh, in other words, address it to, to, to the Father. Mm. You come in Jesus' name. And the reason I, I say that is I've, I've witnessed some people, especially uh, when they get into the idea of the Holy Spirit, where they think that if they pray to the Holy Spirit, somehow it has a better effect in eliciting the Holy Spirit's work mm. than if they pray to God the Father. And it's almost, it almost lends itself to a kind of modalism, mm. which modalism is the idea that, that, the, that God exists almost in three different modes. And that if I want God the Spirit to interact with something, then I should pray to God the Spirit if I want Jesus, if I want God the Father. And so I think it's wiser to just simply say, I pray to God the Father because that's what Jesus taught. Yeah. I ask the Spirit, I ask for the Spirit's work mm-hmm. because that's um, part of what we can do. And I do it in Jesus' name mm. uh, rather than, than trying to ferret out which thing is there. Now, the reason I say I don't think it's wrong, if you're just praying and all of a sudden you're like, Jesus, and it's what comes to mind, I don't think it's like, oh, don't do that. But I think if you're trying to, to understand and pray in a way that's in accordance with Scripture, then to take something that's so clear as the Lord's Prayer as your model mm. is probably a wise move in terms of how we do that. I so, like it. So, uh, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> so here's a question. Um, in the Apostles' Creed, it reads that he descended, speaking of Jesus, into hell on the third day and he rose again. Christ having descended into the underworld is alluded to in the New Testament in 1 Peter 4, 6, which states that the good tidings were proclaimed to the dead. Um, the Son of God going to hell. 
um, have never heard anything on this. So Josiah, enlighten oh, all of us. Oh, why don't I share a in, few thoughts? Uh, in, yeah, just give us some nuggets on, <laughs> uh, on a huge controversy among the church. Yeah, I've got some notes written down on this one. Okay. I think, first of all, it's important to recognize that the creeds are secondary in their authority to Scripture. Uh, first mm-hmm. of all, the, the creeds are based on Scripture, but they don't have the same weight to us that the Bible does. That's all to say... Certainly, we can't just throw the creeds out the window if we don't like one line in them. Mm-hmm. If we are uh, at a place where we would say, I'm not sure that this necessarily uh, jives with me because there are some things in the creeds that could make us uncomfortable that are totally based on Scripture. That said, there are some evangelicals, uh, people in the stream of Christianity where we would say the Bible's our authority. We believe that Jesus is unique in his ability to save us. People in that stream, uh, that tradition of faith where we would say, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with this line. In fact, uh, one of those uh, is a man, Wayne Grudem, who's written extensively uh, in systematic theology, uh, ways of understanding the Bible and uh, God's nature. I was reading, doing some preparation for this, and it seems that he would be included in that camp. Uh, the passage that was shared in this question uh, from First Peter, as well as other passages in First Peter, specifically chapter 3, uh, verses 18 through 22, It's his conviction, Wayne Grudem, that a clear exposition of those verses doesn't necessarily lead someone Mm -hmm. uh, to understanding that Jesus literally descended into hell. Um, More so, maybe an appropriate interpretation would be uh, that Jesus, in his his death on the cross, uh, we need to consider the depth of what that truly meant in his separation from uh, God and bearing the wrath of the sins of mankind. And certainly, there is a lot in the Bible that talks about Jesus' descent into the tomb. Uh, Any number of verses, you know, from the Gospels, Matthew chapter 12, uh, Jesus compares his burial to Jonah being in the belly of the whale. Um, This uh, place uh, where Jesus was in the abyss, the place of the dead. Acts chapter 2 as well, Peter speaks out talking about Christ in the grave and Jesus' power and victory over the dead, uh, again, in Ephesians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 10, Paul refers to Christ's descent to the place of the dead. So what's at stake? I mean, yes. what, what, what's really like, like even hearing all of that? And I've actually written a paper on this yeah. because I had Wayne Grudem in seminary, so he was really into it. So I had to What an learn. unfair advantage. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, but even hearing you read those... I just kind of, to be honest, glossed over like, uh, ah, yeah. yes. so, so what's at stake? Why does this matter? And, and how should somebody think about yeah, it? Yeah, here's the main point of those passages. And I think the main point of that is that line as well in the creed. It's that Jesus literally died on the cross to defeat sin and death by his own death. Mm-hmm. He experienced the wrath of God. He experienced death so that we don't have to. Mm-hmm. That's what's at stake, uh, that Jesus laid down his life, that any one of us who would come to him in faith would be able to share in his death, but also in his resurrection and receive new spiritual life. Mm-hmm. I think that's what's really at stake. So why would somebody like Wayne Grudem or anybody else care that then the creed would say descended into hell if somebody understands that as simply Jesus defeating death um, like, like what's at stake from his vantage point that says, I have to make it abundantly clear that that's not what the text teaches. Yeah, there are people who would come down all differently across this. Mm-hmm. I think that some people would say that the phrase Jesus descended into hell is a misrepresentation of what 
literally happened on the cross mm-hmm. and in the time before Jesus was resurrected. Uh, John Calvin, I was reading his perspective on this. He talks about how he believes that that line uh, is really a reference to Jesus suffering the Father's wrath on the cross for all who believe, um, suffering the Father's wrath to pay the penalty for our sin, and that Jesus' descent occurred in his humiliation there and also in bearing our sin on the cross, but not in his burial. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, that's, a, that's a perspective that I, I could sign off on. The, uh, the idea that Jesus literally descended into hell, I know that that makes some people uncomfortable. I don't, I don't know, uh, would, what would you say is, is mm-hmm. dangerous about that or what would you say is, is at stake there? Well, I think the, the people who, who feel passionate about that issue and do things like write you know, big dissertations on it would say Jesus was never subject to Satan in the sense of what it would mean to be in hell. Mm. And so they would generally agree with the idea that he took the punishment, he took God's wrath, but that he was never subject um, to Satan and eternal punishment, obviously hmm. not eternal. But that that's what I think tends to be at stake, besides just trying to say there's no true biblical warrant yeah. for saying this is actually how it went. So, so it gives you a false idea if you recite the creed. So, for example, yeah. we'll recite the creed here at Orchard Hill, uh, especially in our chapel liturgical service uh, frequently and sometimes in our other services. Uh, and we'll change that line, not because yeah. we feel like we want to change everything, but we feel like on a whole, it's great to say something with people from thousands of years, mm. but that because that one line probably is at least in dispute and unclear what its benefit is yeah. that, that will change that line uh, when we say that um, hmm. for that reason. But, but I think that's generally what people feel is at, at stake and why that matters to people. That makes a lot of sense to me. And something that Jesus communicated prior to his crucifixion is no one takes my life from me. I lay Mm -hmm. my life down on my own accord. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, something I'll say from time to time about this is when Jesus dies on the cross, this is a terrible tragedy, but we don't need to feel bad for Mm -hmm. him because Jesus said, I love you so much that I'm willing to lay down my life on your behalf. And so for someone who would say, I do believe that Jesus literally descended into hell, I think one way I could reconcile that is to say, if Jesus was in some way subject to Satan over those mm-hmm. three days, it's only because he said, I am willing to, knowing that I am going to overcome you mm-hmm. um, in the end. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's one way I could reconcile yeah. that personally. Um, it's, it's well put. All right, let's, uh, let's move on. This is uh, more of a personal question um, than probably, I mean, it's theological, but it's It's um, maybe not wrestling over a a specific phrase. It says, I struggle with this and know that the world is not a perfect place, but when you pray for a child and an animal uh, or for animal abuse to stop, why does God still let it happen to such innocent beings? It breaks my heart to hear of children and animals constantly being abused uh, when they are so, so helpless to defend themselves, yet the evil prevails. Uh, God is good, but he still lets evil win over situations that believers are praying for that to stop. Mm. Um, you never have to ask for bad things to happen because they do all on their own. Any feedback you can provide will help my doubt. I hate having feelings of doubt. Yeah, those are such hard situations and I feel for this person. I resonate with their struggles and frustration 
and just the sense of feeling like, man, we just hope for a better world. We hope mm -hmm. for better for people who have been abused. We hope for better for God's creation. Um, and so I just want them to know, first of all, I hear you. Second of all, um, what I would say is scripture is clear that the world is not as God intended it to be when he created it, that through our willful disobedience and wanting to live as our own authority, God over our own lives, we've disobeyed him. And, you know, this brokenness is a, is a result of our human sin. And so where I put my hope is in knowing that there's ultimately a day that's coming where God will do something to make right all that we have screwed up um, in our human brokenness. Uh, there's a day where he will make all things new and that our God is a God of justice. Um, I thank God for his grace because each one of us deserve his wrath in our sin. Um, but through Jesus, you know, we can, be, we can be able to receive mercy and have hope in knowing that he will come again to judge and mm -hmm. knowing that he will come again to restore. Um, and I would say that as Christians, we can, we can recognize God's heart for restoration and God's heart for justice by seeking those things ourselves in the here and now. Mm -hmm. I think that is an appropriate way for us to wait. Um, we could be passive and say, you know what? There's a day that God's coming to restore. He'll ultimately bring justice. So let me worry about my own stuff and just, you know, take care of number one until that day. But I think that really we can be proactive in light of God's second coming and Jesus' second coming by partnering with him in his redemptive work here and now. And that's also a powerful way we can be a witness as the mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing that caught my attention in this question is the any feedback you can provide to help my doubt. I hate having such feelings of doubt. Um, I'm not sure that doubt is bad. Um, sometimes we get this idea that I should never question um, or doubt or have hard things trouble me. And, and I don't think it's bad that they do. And, and here's why I say that. The very fact that you ask the question actually points to the existence of God, um, because if the world is truly um, not formed by a good God, then there wouldn't be this sense of, of it should be better. What you'd have instead is a survival of the fittest. If you look at the animal kingdom, mm. uh, again, we don't necessarily uh, know what animals think. I'm not a pet psychologist, but, um, but, but it appears that, that an animal has no problem saying, well, if I'm going to take your life and leave you here because I need food, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and because it's just the way it works. And, and if you have a sense that, that the world, that people weren't created in the image of God and that the world just evolved and became what it is, then the sense of should, it should be better. There shouldn't be these things. Yeah. Um, all that is, is natural selection playing itself out in a sense, in a horrific way. But the fact that I think it's horrific is actually evidence of my faith, mm. uh, evidence of a yearning for things to be different, which is a yearning for God. And so even those doubts or those questions, in a sense, are pointing to something more ultimate, more beautiful. Now, that doesn't mean that it's an easy out. Like you go, oh, okay, there's bad things, therefore my yearning for God. Of course they're horrible. And what's really hard about it is if I pray for God to change it, why doesn't God change it? Mm. And and the answer to that isn't easy because we don't know the mind of God. We don't know why God does or doesn't do certain things. The only thing that, that, that we can hold on to in, in that is that at some level, 
we assess good on probably too short term of a horizon, hmm. um, meaning um, I tend to think that something's good if it, if it works out well here and now. Um, and I can't see all of the dynamics, all of the ripples, all of the long-term issues that go with that. And at some point I have to step back and say, God, I don't like this. This is lousy. This is not what I would choose, but I'm going to have to say, I defer in some way that, that you hold this in your hand and I don't get it, nor do I like it, but Mm. it may have some some other implication that I'm not seeing or getting here today. And, and if I don't at some point make that move, I'll get obsessed with God, why didn't you? And then I'll get stuck. Yeah. I think for this person, what it all comes down to is sometimes doubt, like you said, can be a sign of faith. And the Mm -hmm. fact of the matter is if we think we have God figured out, we're off track because God is infinite. God's eternal. And faith by definition, and I mean, Hebrews chapter 11 is belief in what's unseen and mm-hmm. what we hope for. And so there's something about God's character that is just beyond us in our humanity. Mm-hmm. And we can't fully wrap our minds around him. And so sometimes doubt is evidence of faith more so than mm-hmm. evidence that would disprove faith. Yeah, and, uh, it's well put. And when we see brokenness in the world, we can know that ultimately our God came to do something about that and he will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's good. I, I said something in a previous ask a pastor and I said it on a weekend this fall when we were working our way through John, but, um, and that is when, if you're an unbeliever, the closest you'll ever be to heaven are your best moments here on earth. Mm. And if you're a believer, the closest you'll ever get to hell are your worst moments here on earth. Mm. And, and I think that's a, it's a good, helpful way to think about something because what it does is it helps helps you to say when things aren't as they should be, um, I'm actually uh, living in a in a now and not yet reality, and and I have hope that all of the pain and brokenness that I experience now is actually the closest I'll ever be to to the hell of yeah, eternity. And the, on the flip side, if, if I'm a, if I'm a believer, if I'm a non-believer, all of my best moments are the closest I'll ever be to heaven. And, and that they're a taste and a foretaste of all that will be. Mm-hmm. And, and the result of, of that is, is to help me put into context that I wasn't created just for this world. Mm. And, and although it doesn't help solve the immediacy of the pain of brokenness, it, it gives me a perspective maybe that helps me to navigate it. Mm. So just two uh, last little takeaways here, you know, this person specifically mentions children and, and animals and something that's really cool here at Orchard Hill, we've had a lot of families who have participated in fostering mm-hmm. and adoption because of their heart for kids who are in these kind of tough yeah. situations, even volunteering with community organizations, mm-hmm. um, you know, what an awesome way for us to be able to represent the hope that we have in Christ through caring for people. And, you know, some people would hear this last thing and say, wow, should a church really be doing that? But we send people actually to serve at animal shelters through our Mm -hmm. Elios ministry. We do. And maybe that doesn't sound like a spiritual activity, but what a cool way. Creation care. What a, cool, part of, what a cool way for us as a church to show people that we care about God's creation. Mm-hmm. And we want to be, be able to stick up for, um, you know, a value for life mm-hmm. in whatever form that may be. And so maybe it's not necessarily an evangelistic activity mm-hmm. to the animals, right. but it is an evangelistic opportunity for us to communicate 
care our for care all of God's for creation, creation to the yeah. people we interact with when we're out there doing that kind of service project. Yeah. No, that's good. Well put. Well, thank you. Well, again, thank you for spending part of your day here. Thank you, Josiah. Again, if you have questions, please send them to ask a pastor at orchardhillchurch.com. We'll be happy to address them in a coming week. 